You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, uh, we pray that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. Amen. For people like myself who champion and delight in the gospel of grace and of the comforting news of God's kindness towards sinners. Passages such as our sermon text in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 uh, can be challenging. Phrases such as repaying with affliction, flaming fire, inflicting vengeance, and suffering punishment and eternal destruction create a hellfire and brimstone feel that seem like they could conflict of this message of the kindness of God towards sinners and the character of the meek and forgiving Christ of the Bible. On the surface, they appear as if they, huh, how does this add up relative to the gospel? Well, today I want to help us see how the judgment and the wrath of God very much reinforces the goodness, love, and kindness of the Lord for his people. And I want to make this point in two parts. First, the hope of God's judgment. And second, the love of God's judgment. My hope is that when we encounter texts like this that talk about the judgment and the wrath of God, that it will give you greater confidence in the goodness of God. So first, the hope of God's judgment. Paul reveals the purpose of his second letter to the Thessalonians early in the first chapter. He initially observes in verse 3 that the Thessalonians were growing in their faith. And Paul hopes that their relationship with Christ will continue to flourish and that it will not fade away. Verse 11 and 12, he writes, To this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to his grace, the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the primary purpose of this letter is to support the Thessalonians in trusting God and remaining faithful. He does not want them to turn away from the Lord. Now, why was Paul so concerned that the Thessalonians might fall away from God? Well, these Christians were being persecuted intensely. Paul's first letter to this church, he acknowledges that they were being persecuted. And here in the second letter, he indicates that this persecution had persisted and that it had intensified. Verse 4 Paul says that he had boasted about this church to other believers due to their faithfulness through all persecutions and the afflictions they were enduring. Afflictions refer to the ordinary hardships that any person encounters in the fallen world. But persecution specifically refers to pain and suffering that they encountered because of their religious faith. And friends, we are not talking about the kind of persecution that American Christians talk about. The someone calls you closed-minded or somebody blocked you on Facebook because of your religious beliefs. We are talking about people being abused, 
government officials breaking into their homes and beating their families, people being tortured and killed simply because they were a Christian. We are talking about real, live, big boy persecution. And as Christians, the Thessalonians were an oppressed, disenfranchised minority group. Their life experience as a Christian in Thessalonica was very different than my life experience as a Christian in Birmingham, Alabama, where I'm a male majority culture person who is often affirmed for his faith. The assurance they needed is different than the assurance that I need. The elements of God's character that they need to hear reinforced are different than the ones I need reinforced. Christian author Dan Allender was asked to speak at a church where the audience was a minority culture group. They were poor and they had a history of oppression. Allender, who is a great champion of the gospel of grace, preached the kind of sermons that one would expect to hear at a white Protestant suburban church. And afterwards, Allender asked the pastors, how did I do? And they sheepishly but honestly told him, and I paraphrase, that, you know, you kind of did what we expected. You preached grace. You preached the kind of sermon that your church needs to hear. And our people need to hear about grace and forgiveness too. But our people also need to hear about the justice and the judgment of God routinely in order to believe in the goodness of God. Paul is writing to an audience whose life experience is very different than my life experience. In my life, I have generally been encouraged and affirmed for my Christian faith. If I have ever been wronged, the systems have worked for me for me to see justice. The ultimate judgment of God is not something that I routinely need to hear in order to believe in the goodness of God. But what if you're a person like the Thessalonian Christians? You are oppressed and beaten and abused for your faith. And society around you not only condones it, but celebrates your oppression. In 1963, some Ku Klux Klansmen planted a bomb in the children's wing of the 16th Street Baptist Church just four blocks away from here. It was youth day at the church. And four little girls were killed by the blast. Now, if that is your daughter or granddaughter or niece or sister or your best friend, how do you trust in the goodness of God knowing that you will never see justice? Because if you were a black person in Birmingham in 1963, you had absolutely no confidence that there would be any prosecution or justice brought to the perpetrators. How do you trust in the goodness of God when that is your life experience? A friend of mine has done ministry in the Middle East, and this year he remarked about the situation of Christians in Afghanistan. He said that the Christians in Afghanistan who have remained in the country after the Taliban takeover last year fully expect to be killed for their faith. Their mentality is that they plan to share the gospel with as many people as possible until they are killed. And they know that they will never see justice for the wrongs that are done to their brothers and sisters in Christ because the body that is supposed to give them justice, the government, is the very group of people who are killing the Christians. If that is your life experience, 
How do you believe in the goodness of God? Well, the audience of this passage is not people like me. It's the friends and family of the four girls at the 16th Street Baptist Church. It's the Christians in Afghanistan and North Korea and Iran and Iraq. And I know that not all oppression is so public. People around us have been exploited in more private ways where their vulnerability has been taken advantage of and they have been caused egregious pain. And most of this, these victims know that they will never see justice. And this is a kind of oppression that happens to people from all backgrounds. So what hope does Paul have to offer people who need to hear the word of God's justice and judgment in order to believe in the goodness of God and to remain faithful? The first thing that Paul proclaims to help the Thessalonians trust God is that in the end, he will avenge their persecution. Paul writes, Indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And he doubles down on this by writing that God will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And as hard as language like that is hard to, is, is to read in the Bible, this is God being kind and loving to victims of oppression. This is God saying, I see your pain and suffering. I see your need for what is wrong to be made right, and I have your back. I will make things right in the end. I can remember when I was about 10 years old, uh, there was a poor woman who worked for my family named Miss Jackson. She had saved up a little bit of money to buy a car. So she went to a used car lot, and she bought a car, and the car was a total linen. It never worked from day one. And so she took the car back that day and asked for a refund, and they said no. They would not give her a refund. They were expecting that she didn't have the means to stand up for herself. Well, she told my mom, who told my dad, and my dad owned a business. I can remember my dad coming home that night picking up the phone and he, his jaw was sticking out, which was a sign that my dad was furious. And so my dad said on the phone, my name is Hutch Cole. Lillian Jackson is a part of my family. I understand that you sold her a lemon and that you will not give her her money back. And so I'm going to tell you that one of two calls is going to be made tomorrow morning. You are either going to call Miss Jackson and tell her that you will be giving her a full refund by noon, or at 12.01, my attorney Bruce Rogers will be calling you to sue you for the damages. It's your decision, one of two calls by 12.02 tomorrow morning, and he slammed down the phone. And I can remember thinking, that's my dad. Don't mess with my dad. But that was the wrath of Hutch Cole coming down on the used car salesperson. And Miss Jackson saw justice because of the wrath of my dad. Miss Jackson felt loved and seen because someone had stood up for her. And that's part of why the Bible tells us within godly biblical bounds to stand up for people who are vulnerable and oppressed. Yes, the oppressed need to hear the word of God's judgment and justice in the Bible. 
but they also need to see his justice come through people who have the means and the power to stand up for them. Now, this word of justice also helps the Christians in Thessalonica to remain faithful. Because notice, he says that God will repay the afflictions done. Not the Christians in the church, but God alone. Paul writes in Romans 14, Repay no one evil for evil. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Remember that one of the hallmarks of the Christian life is that we love our enemies and that we bless those who persecute us. And given our intrinsic need for justice, the only way that we can love our enemies and bless those who persecute us is to trust and to know that judgment and justice belongs to God. He will take care of things in the end according to his wisdom, timing, and plan. So we've talked about how the judgment of God conveys hope. Finally, I want to finish by talking about how the judgment of God conveys his love. And our final point, the love of God's judgment. Well, I've talked quite a bit about how God's justice and judgment convey hope to the oppressed. But what about the oppressor? What about the perpetrator? Where is the hope for that person? It is important to know that God desires mercy over judgment. And so do we. I'm sure that many of you, like me, have stood in outrage over the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And you, like me, have probably had a feeling along the way that you want to see Vladimir Putin taken down. But you know what we all would rather see than that? We would all rather see Vladimir Putin come to saving faith in Christ. We would all rather see him stand up tomorrow and say, I am sorry. What I have done is wrong. Please forgive me. That is, that is the preference of us, and that is the preference of the Lord. Something to remember is that God makes himself vulnerable to all people when he gives us life and offers us relationship. And every single person violates God's vulnerability when we sin against us. And when we do this, we put ourselves on the perpetrator's side of the dichotomy. And we put ourselves under the judgment of God. But here is the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of this intense language of just, justice, of judgment, vengeance, repayment, eternal destruction, all of this falls on Jesus on the cross. All of this describes the magnitude of the price that Jesus paid on the cross for you and me. And this also demonstrates the magnitude and the depth of God's love for you and for me. Because Jesus serves as our substitute on the cross, it is God's justice that anyone who comes to God in weakness and seeks forgiveness and mercy is granted it without question. So victims, you can find hope in God's justice. And sinners, you can find hope in the cross of Jesus Christ. 
Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.